podcast where we get to talk with songwriters about writing songs and making music. My name is Mike. Our guest for this one is James Bradshaw who records under the moniker Pony Bradshaw. Pony Bradshaw just released a second record, Calico Jim. Let me tell you something, this record had me under its spell at first listen. Here's what I suggest you all do. If you have not had a chance to listen to this entire album yet, I think maybe you should pause this podcast and go do that right now. James and I talk a lot about the songs on this record, and you might appreciate this more if you hear the record first. And also, you should just hear the record. Then you can come back and listen to the rest of this episode. We'll still be here. Unless you want to go back and listen to the whole record again, which is what I did when I first heard it. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Hope you enjoyed listening to that Calico Jim album as much as I have. I had a blast discussing these songs with James. He's clearly committed to his craft, to writing about what he knows, to working on and honing his songs until they just gleam. These are songs about the people and places of his home and the surrounding area of northern Georgia. James realized as he was writing these songs during quarantine last year that they were more than just a collection of songs around a theme, and he ended up with something approaching a concept album. The title track, Calico Jim, introduces us to the narrator character, whose presence kind of appears in several other songs. I mentioned that the record had me under a spell, and in that spell I was taken to these mountains of northern Georgia. The poetry of James's lyrics and the subtly complicated musical arrangements guiding the way. I really think you'll enjoy this discussion, and if I forgot to mention it, go listen to the new record by Pony Bradshaw. Quick thank you shout out to Sarah at IVPR for helping to put this together. So let's get to it. Here is our Tell You What discussion with James Bradshaw. And take my time on the ride, I make my way as a fisherman. And take my time on the James Bradshaw, welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. Thanks so much for talking with us today. Yeah, man. You are at your home in Georgia, North Georgia. Do I have that right? Yes, sir. Chatsworth, Georgia. Chatsworth, Georgia. Okay, so when people are listening to this episode, which is in the future, your record will be out. But right now, release date is a few weeks away. I got to tell you, I was lucky enough to get an early listen to the entire record, and I I, I cannot stop listening to it. I think it is so great. Uh, I think you've created something really special here. You should be quite proud. I appreciate that, man. So this is kind of an interesting situation for you. I'm sure you're quite happy and excited to get the record out in the world, but at the same time frustrated you can't get out and tour behind these songs. 
Yeah, that's pretty frustrating for sure. Um, I usually like downtime and hanging out at home, but when it's forced upon you, it's a, it's kind of a different feeling for sure. And I've I've right. started missing traveling, seeing people, and you know all that. Okay, so let's go back in time, if we can, to your early music memories. Mm-hmm. You lived in Georgia for a while now, but if I have your bio right, you were born in Mississippi, moved around a fair amount, but spent a lot of your youth in Texas, right? That's right. So what kind of music do you remember hearing when you were younger in your home, your community, and has some of that stayed with you and maybe influenced your work now, do you think? Hmm. It's tough. Uh, my parents were were both pretty big Elvis Presley fans. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I don't I don't know if that shaped anything, but my dad did some small kind of impersonating of Elvis too. He did some shows, which is kind of strange. Oh wow! That, that whole thing, you know. My mom grew up in church. She can sing harmony and stuff like that. And, you know, the normal stuff like the Eagles, James Taylor, she had the greatest hit CDs, but nothing very specific, no vinyl. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just, I didn't really grow up listening to records like a lot of musicians. I played baseball and and focused more on sports than than music when I was younger. Yeah, so when did music kind of enter into your life in a bigger way? Uh, I, I remember when I was in the military, I was in the Air Force. I joined when I was 19. I, I bought a guitar at a pawn shop and a uh, How to Play Guitar for Dummies book. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't work. I never learned a single, <laughs> never learned a single chord. And uh, I moved back home. I was in Colorado at the time. I moved back home to East Texas and a buddy of mine was playing guitar and he taught me you know three chords four chords and reading tabs and things like that but um I still even then I wasn't really deeply invested in songwriting it was more of just a a cool thing to do around friends when you're at a party or something the thing the thing I don't like to do now you know go, go to a party and bring a guitar out I don't even go to parties I don't even know what I'm talking about but yeah I, I've always read books and literature and I've always really been in the, into that so I think once I finally got a hold of guitar and how to how a song works I was able to apply you know a little more time and energy and focus into how to write a song, build a song, and it takes time to kind of find your your voice of what you want to do instead of just mimicking everybody, you know? Right. Yeah, so, yeah, it was a slow, and it was a slow process, and I started, you know, really getting into writing late 20s. Okay. Early 30s, yeah. And it was still, even from then, I mean, I hate to use this term, but you're a bit of a late bloomer in this business, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, that is very true. Um, I didn't play a show, like a real show, until 30s or something. I was doing open mics. That's how I started off in in Chattanooga. And that was in your 30s? Yep, in my 30s. Had a job at a flooring manufacturer here and uh, worked in the office, though. It wasn't too bad. But, yeah, no shows. I I think we made a record. Uh, in Mississippi, in Water Valley, Mississippi, and uh, 
didn't plan on making a record. We got there and we had enough songs and ended up making one. But I think that was the first time I ever played with a band together. And how long ago was this? That was about six years ago. Okay. And we hadn't even played a show at that point. We had made a record before we played a show. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, late bloomer. That's true. You were a big reader and that kind of thing. So, so did you always feel as though you had something to say, like that there was something in you creatively that wanted to come out and, and eventually you found your way to the guitar and, and songwriting? Or, or was it all kind of presented itself at that time? Well, I'm not sure that I, I thought I had something to say. I know I really enjoyed writing, and um, it kind of consumed me. So I think in the beginning it was just something I was really passionate about, and then, you know, the something to say, the voice, it kind of comes later. Were you doing any other kind of writing before the songwriting? Yeah, I wrote it. I wrote, I guess you'd call them essays or long narrative poems with no structure writing okay. structure you know and i did that at work all day actually on like, microsoft word back on my computer and it was frowned upon for sure <laughs> yeah they didn't like that but yeah did anyone else ever see any of that stuff no i mean close friends a few friends yeah. i showed some things but you know i never shared much it took a while for me to get comfortable or or proud of something I was writing. Yep. Yeah. And how do you see the relationship between those poems or whatever you want to call them then and the songwriting you do now? Are they kind of an evolved version of the earlier stuff or do you consider it two different things? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an evolved version for sure. But um, there's a lot of stuff I'm not proud of. But there, when I look back on some of it, I've lost a lot of it. But I still mm. have some of it. And I'm like, ah. Uh, I could see hints of who I am now back then, you know, and how I write. Right. Yeah. And do you feel like the the life you lived, the maturity, life experience you gained have made you the better writer you are now? In other words, do you think the younger you could, could not have come up with these songs you're writing now? Yeah, I, I, I don't think the younger me could have <laughs> because, yeah, I've, I've lived a, a kind of crazy and nomadic life and you know knowledge is experience and you, you get knowledge through experience and I've had a lot of that plus reading and trying and listening so I, I believe in taking the time to work on the craft but if you're a young man you you don't have patience for sure so I'm, I'm kind of pleased with how it's happened yeah. yeah I'm gonna quote your website here you're quoting I'm gonna mispronounced this Laszlo Krasna Horkai you want to give me the proper pronunciation there are you, are you about as good as I am on that last right. name it, it, I'm just quote a little bit or something of it. like that yeah. yeah I'm going to quote a little bit of it here it's kind of advice for the artist and so what do I recommend the taste of failure in place of success poverty instead of wealth anonymity in place of renown yeah right yep that is, that's that's true. That's hard to uh, to come to terms with for sure because you want to pay your bills. You don't want to yeah. live on the streets in poverty. You don't want that. Especially, I have children, you know, so. Yep. But it's a fine line, you know, the commerce part of making art and trying to sell it and make a sustainable 
kind of career out of it. It's, it's tough. But maybe living some of that previously has made you the better writer you are today, the failure of poverty, that kind of thing. Yeah, and, that, and that's a thing I think a lot of folks don't realize. You, you, you've had that experience. You don't have to continue being poor and <laughs> living in the streets. I mean, you've, you've had the experience, and you can uh, condense it down into songs after the fact. You don't, right. have to, you don't have to be down in the trenches eternally, you know. Okay, so normally now I'd spend some time talking about your creative process and related topics, and then we would get into talking about some of the songs. But I'm so interested in talking about this album and these songs. I think I want to get into that now so we have enough time to spend there, and the questions can flow from that. Does that sound good? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, so first of all, the record as a whole, Calico Jim. This is your second record. I mean, you talked about one five, six years ago, but you released one. Uh, last year on Rounder. This one is not on Rounder. You're putting it out yourself, right? Yes, sir. So we don't need to talk about what may or may not have gone on with the previous record, but the production, the overall sound of this one is quite different. Did you feel you owed these songs something they weren't getting from the previous approach? Yeah, exactly. Um, I I needed to strip away all of that, that fat that seemed to be on Sudden Opera, the... I'm not sure. I think it was Wendell Berry and or Gary Snyder said it about Wendell Berry, but he was talking about his work and said it had, you know, it was less glamour, more nutrients, and yeah. that really resonated with me. And it's how I like to hear music too, you know. So I was hoping that we would go down there and just not dress it up too much in the studio. And yeah, I was happy with the result for sure. Yeah, I gotta say, I think the approach really worked. The, the songs seem to be the priority here, and I don't just mean the lyrics, but the whole message of the song seems to be the focus, and that's what I got from listening to the to the arrangements and the production on this. Yeah, that was that was the focus for sure. Okay, so let's go through the songs. We won't get to all of them, but but let's just see where this takes us. Um, first cut, Calico Jim, title track. Here we're introduced to a character and. He is somewhat of a narrator, kind of a repeating presence through some of the other songs. Yeah, I mean, a very loose uh, kind of narrator. Right. But yeah, it's a, it's a loose concept, too, the whole thing. So. Yeah. Can you talk about point of view in your songwriting? There's a lot of first person talking on this record. And how much of a, like, a conscious style choice is that for you? Or do the songs just present themselves from... A particular point of view to you as as you write them. Um, there was a point in time where I, I tried to not write from first person as much, but now whenever I sit down, I I, I don't think too much about it. Just what comes natural, and yeah, I, you could change it to he she pretty easily, but it feels unnatural when you make those changes after the fact. I would say the majority of those songs, probably seven or eight, were written during this uh pandemic you know, right after march all the way up to the day the month we recorded into august so like a five month period it's when i wrote 80 percent of the record and uh i was just sitting at home locked away in my room <laughs> it sounds dramatic i just had the door shut but, uh, <laughs> yeah and i just i just wrote you know and i finally lit upon something that really inspired me and it was exactly 
I mean, it was right out my front door, you know, it was here, my community, my town, my area, and it just started kind of opening my eyes, showing me how much there is here to write about. And I've always thought you needed to write about what you know. You hear that a lot, but yeah, yeah you could write about what you don't know. It's pretty easy too, you know. But right now at this point, I really wanted to write about North Georgia and uh, a displaced southerner maybe, you know. That's how I've, I've always felt every town I've lived in, so... You're a part of it, but you're not a part of it. You know, it's, right. it's kind of a contradiction, but it, I think a lot of people feel that way. So at what point in the writing of these songs did you realize maybe you had more, something maybe a little bit more than just a general theme, but bordering on like a concept here where some of the songs reference each other or the same names or yeah, places yeah. come up? When, when did that kind of come together? Man, it all happened kind of on the fly. I, I didn't prepare it or plan it, and you know, I was just grateful that it did fall out like that because it it made the whole record mean a little bit more to me than just a collection of songs. Which there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, right? I, I plan on making the, the next record. It won't be as you know connected or even about Georgia. So this one just was for some reason. Yep. yep. So can you talk about this character, Calico Jim, and, and where did this song come in the sequence of these songs coming out? When did you come up with this person? Yeah, uh, my name's James, and my dad went by Jim, and I use Jim and Jimmy a lot in songs because it's, it's, it could be me or my dad, but folks don't really know my name's James usually, so it doesn't sound like it's about me. But right. um I think Jason Weinheimer, he was the engineer and owner of the studio where we cut the record in Little Rock Fellowship Hall Sound. I think he, I think he might have said that it's my alter ego. And then you know it kind of, <laughs> some sometimes it takes somebody telling you what yeah. the song is that you wrote. You know, so then I started seeing myself in all of them too, and seeing the guy Calico Jim is actually in all of these songs. It feels like you know, so that's interesting. It's very accidental. But, yeah, but it, yeah. It, it, it's. I think a lot of things, you know, happen that way. It's yeah. unconsciously. Calico Jim in a red state. He don't pick sides. He don't ever take the bait. He ain't slow like you think. He don't mostly lie and drink. And that dressed up talk that you like to talk. It don't fool him none It don't change the way he walk It don't fool him none It don't change the way he walk It don't change the way he walk It don't change the way he talk We don't want your new deal Lock the door We don't want your new deal Leave us be We don't want your new deal Lock the door This ain't no fascist land Leave us be Next cut, Dope Mountain. Mm-hmm. First track we heard, the character, Calico Jim, get introduced. Now we're hearing about setting, kind of sense of place. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an amazing song to me. Some of the poetry here, I'm going to quote a little bit. Poison sumac, kudzu wrapped in hemlock teeth, cinnamon vines in the 
ginseng leaves swaying in the wind brought down from the ridge. This, these words and the delivery of them really put me in that place. I am taken to that place you're describing. Mm-hmm. And now I'm thinking back about you saying you wrote that poetry before you wrote songs. Mm-hmm. This, to me, is, is pretty good poetry. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. But i got to stop here for this one line. The maestro surmises you belong to these hills. Now, you, you wrote that line. You must, uh, I'm thinking you must have put your pen down and thought, yeah, I th- that's good. I came up with something good here. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, it felt good, you know. Uh, sometimes you don't get to say where you belong, you know. You just belong where you do. And either, I mean, I don't know who God or whoever decides these things, you know. But the maestro, yeah, I mean, it felt good when I wrote that. and yeah. felt true. And just a great turn of phrase. Thank you. It's all grown up with poison sumac Kudzu wrapped in hemlock teeth The cinnamon vine and the ginseng leaves Swaying in the wind brought So the song progresses into this beautiful section near the end, kind of a bridge with a key change. I am a sucker for a good musical metaphor. I mean, like a metaphor that uses musical references. And here we have these great lines, sweeping vocals, building the tension. And it's a single line repeated four times with one word changing, right? The counterpoint lies under the melody. Mm -hmm. Counterpoint moves under the melody. Then the counterpoint breathes and finally sinks. I think this whole thing is just so wonderfully placed. And after spending time with the whole album, I feel this is kind of a statement on your overall and and overall theme here, kind of the complicated currents underneath the lives, history, the future of the places that you're singing about here. Am I on the right track or am I I overthinking this? No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. The the intricate uh, workings underneath everything in a community, in a city, in a town, Chicago, where you are, I'm sure. Yeah. It's, you know, that underworld life. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we all mostly live on the surface and we're, we compartmentalize our lives. And But underneath it all, you know, the counterpoint to what seems like reality is it's singing, it's breathing, you know, it's moving under there.
want to talk about production and arrangement again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be said that these are simple or stripped-down productions, but the songs are not basic folk songs. There's a lot going on within a lot of these songs. The repeated lines, tempo changes, progressions into different sections. You know, many of these songs are on the long side, five minutes or so. Yeah. So were these songs written as simpler songs that came to life in these more complicated way during recording, or did you have these ideas in your head from the beginning? Uh, the songs are... I, when I write a song and go to the studio, I don't really like to change much. I just like right. my band to play whatever the song needs, you know. So arrangements, that's just how the arrangements were. Then we added, you know, uh, attention, me- or, uh, the emotion via instruments. So I love folk music and I love traditional music, but I never can just stick to that those structures the chord structures and i just like to shake it up a little bit you know yeah and you say you don't really listen to a lot of music so you're not thinking about other artists that might have structured things this way or or done things kind of out of the box like you've done here no i definitely don't listen to as much music as i used to and whenever i'm writing i think in terms of even arrangements or movements or anything it's always some kind of it's related to a book okay I've, I've read or some poetry or plays even you know I get on in that in my head sometimes with characters and you know soliloquies and you know I, I I just I don't think of songs I don't compare them to other songs when I write I, I'm thinking of books most of the time yeah so when you look back on some of the songs you've written, does a particular song, you can say, oh, I, I'm, I was thinking about this particular piece of literature with that song? Is it that tight of a reference sometimes? sometimes? Yeah. yeah I, I might have to be reminded of a, a line, and then I'll be oh, yeah, I was reading that and thinking of this. But yeah. right off the bat or cuff, I can't really think of anything specific. Okay. Next track, Hillbilly Possessed. Again, point of view I think is interesting here. It's a character story but we're introduced to the character by a first-person narrator, right? I once knew a snake-handling preacher. Mm -hmm. Um, I hear a little Springsteen kind of in this, just in terms of the the wonderful kind of character description and the way that the characters come alive here. I'm hearing in this song addiction and kind of a tangling up of addiction and religion, right? The the young woman sipping from the fountain about to slide herself off the, uh, the side of Dope Mountain. Mm-hmm. Am I am I in the ballpark here? Um, it's definitely religion, and okay. And to me, sipping from the fountain is the fountain uh, of whatever is being preached, and and just drinking of that. Uh, you know the guy, the snake handling fella. Yeah. Um, um, dope mountain is a literal mountain. Yes. Yeah, and uh, it's not called that here, but <laughs> that's what I've named it. Yeah, she's addicted to the feeling and the power of this man that is very convincing, <laughs> which they can be sometimes. I once knew a snake-handling preacher never went to a school or took from a teacher. He learned it all. From man's great fall in the darkest hollow he'd ever crawl. In the darkest hollow he'd ever crawl. 
Here's a song about what has happened to this land. You're, you're singing about pollution, corporate greed. There's a great transition in the song and you, where you go from basically angrily spitting out the names of the companies responsible for this, and then the music <laughs> kind of slows down and opens up with the refrain, let us breathe. It works so well. Yeah. And I saw somewhere, and you actually mentioned earlier uh, a reference to the writer, uh, an activist, farmer, Wendell Berry. So can you talk about this song maybe in light of Wendell Berry's work and how that maybe has influenced you? Yeah, um, sometimes having a hard time remembering the words if I'm not singing it, but the, the chorus is uh, it's anti-industrialization, and I definitely have that feeling. And, you know, they push you, they push you up into the hills even further, or you have to join up with them just to make a living, you know, and... And I could go on for hours about how I feel about that, but also not offer up a remedy how to right. fix those types of things either, you know? So it's like, I sound like a hypocrite because <laughs> I buy processed foods and I don't farm. You know, I, I don't know how. I'd like to learn and I'm too busy writing songs all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, um, that song is, it's just about how it feels like small towns that have deep reserves of some kind of natural resource or just beauty are exploited for who knows money always uh, and by outsiders and people that aren't even of the community so that's how i i just could see that as i'm singing that and it feels very i don't know the word i'm looking for but it feels powerful to to sing at those people, although, uh, you know, the coal and stuff, mine, and that hasn't happened here in Georgia where I live since late 70s, so, but the effects of it are long-lasting and how we go about our lives and how we give away our time, you know, 40 hours or more a week for a paycheck, you know, it's just, that whole philosophy, I have a hard time with it, I do, Mm -hmm. and it comes off as idealistic or sometimes lazy or you want a handout or freebie. That's what always happens. That's terminology around, you know, Georgia, North Georgia. If you don't work in a factory, you're lazy and you want a handout. I don't know how that began, like giving your time away and working your ass off and breaking your back is a good thing, you know. Let us breathe. Yeah, that's what I feel about that one. Coal and coke company, Georgia Steel in Dave County. One million tons drawn is plenty. Pack up your outfit and let us breathe. 
talk about Sawtooth Jericho. I have to ask where you came up with that title term because <laughs> I looked it up and I don't think it's a thing. Yeah, I don't, e- <laughs> I don't either. I th- it's got a great sound to it. I th- it's so strange, man. I, I, um, I wrote that and I could have swore that it was um, like a medicinal root, like, you know, ginseng's energy and yeah. all that. So. And I, I could have swore I read it somewhere in a book, and you know. And I woke up after I wrote it the next morning, and I was trying to find it, and I googled it. And I'm like, man, this is nowhere. I don't know <laughs> what happened. So, but that's what it means to me. Yeah. Well, there is a there is a vegetable called the Jerusalem artichoke. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a, a, another song title. That's <laughs> well, it's got a great sound to it. So I, I think if you had come up with the right thing or what you're trying to, maybe the song wouldn't have come out, right? Yeah, maybe not, yeah. It's, it's a weird, I really, truly believed that it was a real thing. I don't know what happened there. Far Appalachia across the St. Simon Sound Jean Rousseau, I hope we've done you proud Catfish skin, white and lacquer thin Come down from the hills with your shirt tucked in. Quick find the salt tooth, Jericho. She's moonshine drunk, hanging all over me. These rituals, them dark spells. Come on, cast them, mama. Ain't no shaman, but I'll wade through the slide and the scrub. Cause going water. So let's talk about your process a bit here. In this song and in some others, like Calico Jim, there are some of the verses to me sound like like little standalone like vignettes, not directly related to each other, but kind of held together by the theme of the song or by the chorus, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how are these songs coming together? Are you piecing them together from different like sessions and and oh I got this verse over there that I wrote the other day and they can kind of work together, or are they still coming as as one continuous? set uh, unit let's say yeah yeah I've, I've both both of yeah. those ways for sure yeah and i'm a i'm a fan of a non sequitur of, of a, a verse that has nothing to do with another verse you know or a chorus that has nothing to do with the verses i i see no problem with that you know? yeah i think it's limiting if you're trying to connect everything so tight it's really you can lose some kind of magic that way you know so yeah i mean but you're putting them together for a reason. They have a connection. It's just not obvious in the words themselves, maybe. Yeah, it's not. It's it's not as obvious. And I think that when you when you write that way, that loose way, it's it allows a listener to interpret it how they see fit instead of how I'm telling them how to hear a song. You know, I like to sing it uh, to people, not at people. And mm-hmm. I don't want to preach. I don't want to say. I don't want to speak absolutes. So I think that song is a, a, a great kind of way of just letting it letting it ride and 
letting the listener be creative themselves. Yeah, I think it's a great one. All right, one more song, Guru. There's a great line in this song that I love. It's a strange play on words when we start to sing. <laughs> it kind of reminds me a bit of a line from the song in Calico Jim, There's Not Enough Poetry to Save Us. I kind of get the sense, once again, I'm probably going way too deep here. We're kind of moving up a level from the narrator kind of to the writer, kind of reflecting on, on your craft with these lines, right? Yeah, yeah, that is that is a more me line. Uh, it's It sometimes seems funny that we get up on a stage and sing and people listen, you know what I mean? So it's strange to think, you know, that people actually listen to me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm just like everybody else, you know? So it's strange, play on words, lyrics or the play on words and yeah 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 it's a it's a great line can you talk yeah. about how this song came about how you came up with this interesting character if i'm hearing this right the mennonite woman with the lazy eye mm-hmm. my uh my girlfriend said is that about me i'm like neither one of those things are you so i don't i don't understand that <laughs> <laughs> she is a woman yeah she's a woman that's she's got that part yeah um i think the first line of that song is just what sparked me it, and just each line just kept coming after the next one you know so and every every time I pick up the kids I meet their mom in Athens Tennessee mm-hmm. and we drive or I drive through first through Etowah and there's a large population of Mennonite Amish folks on wagons on the side of the road running everywhere you know so yep. I think that's where the Mennonite came in i needed it to be factual you know like since i'm writing something like this record and to be regional so it worked there but you know life is just absurd it's a theater <laughs> yeah i mean it's 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 all there you know <laughs> we got high as the heavens washing each other's feet in the out on God and crystal meth That long summer she was my guru That midnight woman with the lazy eye Circling back to your early discussion about your path mm-hmm. um, and, and and how you got to this place as a songwriter, are there things you feel like you're getting better at as a writer, or things you're consciously working on getting better at? Uh, I'm very confident in in what I want to say, and I don't worry about expectations from the listener or people tastemakers what you call them you know what I mean those gatekeepers I, I don't worry at all about at that uh, anymore or I don't, I'm not sure I worry too much in the beginning but I definitely 
I don't care about yeah. that. You know, so it, it frees you up to just write what you want to write because that's the whole thing that got you started. It's it's fun. It's fun to create worlds and I think on it every now and then why it's so important to me to just create worlds out of thin air and I really have a hard time figuring out why that is, you know. It's just humans painting on cave walls, you know, why'd they do that? You know, who knows? Yeah. But it's it's in me and I, I can't make it go away and I just want to do it the most honest way I can and not think about commodifying it if it happens after the fact so be it but my my motivation is uh, I look at them as records I don't look at them as songs anymore for some reason and I look at it as, as an artifact and if it was left the earth was wiped out and a few things made it and one of my records made it I, I would hope that it could explain you know uh, a very small part of an area you know yeah. that's how I think about records these days like an actual record right yeah. that's great that's great um, now you mentioned very or I read somewhere you already got the songs for your next record ready to go yeah uh, I actually have two records and I'm have, I have a hard time uh, determining which one is next you wow. know uh, there's one that's uh, like a sister record to Calico and there's one that's just musically and you know that'll be all be the same but lyrically and the content they're both different very different so would you say this has been a particularly prolific period for you or that you're coming up with these these great songs or, or is there's this just how you feel you you are as a writer i do write a lot and uh the sister record obviously not obviously but it did come after calico it's i haven't finished it there's about seven eight songs written for that and uh but the other one that I mentioned, it's been written for quite some time. I signed with Rounder, I think like in, shoot, I don't even know, 2017. Mm -hmm. And the record that I put out, Sudden Opera, was already written when I signed with them. So from 2017 to the middle of 2019, like two and a half years, I was writing every day. So okay. that's what one of these records would be, you know, so... Just, I mean, I don't have a, a day job anymore. Yeah. I, just, I write, and I, I take it seriously. I don't wait around for some kind of inspiration. Cause, so you get down at the desk every day? Yeah, or, well, I don't necessarily do that. I, I, you know, people, I like to use a pen and a notebook, and I do that, and, or a computer. But I also just text myself. Okay. Like, like couplets and things like that. And I got millions of notebooks everywhere just laying everywhere books everywhere my girlfriend I, bought, I finally bought some uh big bigger book shelves and now <laughs> i got those up and there's still books lying around everywhere and notebooks so i do it always it's not always at a desk sometimes it is sometimes i like to set my recliner and write like that's yeah. what i was doing when I saw your email come through, and I'd forgotten about our podcast. <laughs> I was sitting on a computer typing up lyrics. And I hope I didn't like, interrupt anything good. No, no. I've <laughs> typed up those lyrics a hundred times. That's a, a thing I do. I, I just pound it in and make sure it's, you know, I got, I'll write them with my fountain pens that I, I like, and then I'll type them up, and then I'll have my girlfriend print them 
up so I could see them in that way. And so you're a fan of the rewrite? Oh yeah, I just keep on doing it over and over and over and over and over. And are these coming with melodies, or are they melodies coming later? These are finished songs that I just keep writing up okay. to make sure the lines and syllables work for me, you know. And just uh, it helps me compile and kind of have some kind of order going mm -hmm. on, you know. But when you're writing these couplets and, and texting them to yourself, are those mm -hmm. coming with melodies sometimes too, or are those coming uh, after? No, not not always. Not in the beginning. Uh, if I, you know, got a, a verse and I type it into my phone, it helps me go into the next one a little bit. And, and if I've already had one verse written with a melody, I kind of have a melody in my head for the, the new couplet, you know? Right. Yeah. So how does it feel having written these this, this most recent batch of songs, recorded them, now releasing them, with almost all of them or maybe all of them never having been performed live? Yeah. Yeah, maybe one or two have. Uh, yeah. It was exciting. I mean... It really was. I know the the old saying is you need to play them on the road, and make sure they're right and stuff before you get in the studio. But uh, there's something appealing about the instinctual kind of record. You just make a song and then go make a record. You know, yeah. It's very primitive, and I, I try not to think in any kind of set terms set by a business and labels and try to just think how I want to think about it, you know? So I knew that they hadn't been or played live, but I, I didn't even care. I just wanted to see what happens when we got there, you know? Yep. Yeah. Well, James, I tell you, I think I've made it pretty clear. I'm a fan of this record, so <laughs> I, I, I think you did it right. Yeah, and I appreciate it, man. I think a lot of folks are soon going to discover the magic of this record just like I did. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about these songs and I'm yeah, glad man. to hear that there's there's more so I look forward to hearing all those songs too <laughs> thank you. Uh, so thanks very much for doing the work and getting your art out into the world and thanks so much for talking about talking about it all with me today yeah no problem man thank you uh, for listening alright James I'm a drunken boy I'm a drunken boy